Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. So when you start to actually tune into how much abundance is around you, then that becomes your reality. Instead of the scarcity, the abundance is what's like thick and strong and calling your name. My guest today is the gorgeous Prue Chapman. She has over 15 years experience in business strategy, leadership development and a psychology degree to boot. You won't find someone more passionate than Prue around helping people find their purpose, freedom and fulfillment in the work they do. She's worked with over 15,000 entrepreneurs across all industries, from startups to early stage entrepreneurs through to big business. Prue is the host of not one, but two podcasts, One Wild Ride and The Owners Collective, which are definitely worth checking out. She's created a global community of game changers and daring disruptors and has nurtured them on their way to success, financial freedom and purposeful living. A client once told Prue that working with her is like hauling your business through an intense CrossFit session, followed by a double espresso and a lazy triathlon after that. And you'd better bloody believe it because she is a dynamo and oozes both a yogic calmness and strategic businesswoman all at the same time. Our chats over the years have always been fascinating as we cross between our love of business through to spirituality and sharing our zest for living a life that's true to you. Prue Chapman, stoked to have you here today. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, oh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about where this conversation is going to go today. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? For me, it would definitely be around our mindset and in particular, abundance mindset. I just think it is driving so many of our decisions in business and in life and not a lot of people are talking about what's going on under the hood. So abundance mindset it is for me. I love that. So for those that don't know, how would you define abundance mindset? Well, sometimes it can be easier to describe what it's not. So the way that I see it, you can be coming from a place of scarcity or you can be moving towards a place of abundance. So when we're thinking about a scarcity mindset, it's that, you know, there's not enough to go around. There's not enough for everyone. You know, we've got limited resources and it really underpinning scarcity is a place of fear. So when people are operating from that mindset of scarcity, and fear, then that's when we see we see competition for resources. We just like all of the nastiness in the world really is going to come from that place of fear and scarcity. So on the flip side to that, if we're looking at the opposite end of the spectrum, that's where we're looking at a mindset of abundance. So whether it's abundance or sufficiency is kind of how I like to look at it as well. It's that there's enough for everyone. There's enough to go around. By me having enough, it's not going to take anything away from other people. I mean, it also, you can frame it up, you know, that my 
mindset of scarcity comes from fear and the mindset of abundance comes more from a place of love. So that's how I'd look at an abundance mindset. Oh, and it so um, suits you, you know, and the way you operate and everything you do, like everything that, you know, you are so gracious to so many other people and the generosity of spirit that you have and your real um, unapologetic drive to make the world better. It just comes out and it just oozes out of you, which is just so beautiful. So I love that. So how do people, I mean, one, how do you recognize, I guess, if someone's operating from a place of abundance or scarcity? I mean, that fear kind of element. And I think um, given what we've just been going through, with COVID, the toilet paper rushing and uh, craziness is probably a great example of that. So that's my first question. The second part is, and then what do people need to do to change their thinking or philosophy in that space? Yeah. Okay. Great questions. And I think to answer the first one about how do we recognize it? I mean, I think you just have to flash your mind's eye back to when we were seeing, you know, the pictures on the news of the toilet paper fiasco. This is a great, it's a great example that you've brought straight to the floor there. I mean, that is the definition of scarcity, right? Like there won't be enough. I need to get what I can get my hands on. So there's hoarding, there's competition. It lacks any kind of camaraderie or collectivity, right? And then when you see someone who's really acting from a place of abundance, you know, it's it's kind, it is generous, it's inclusive, it's community orientated, it's philanthropic, uh, you know, which you do a lot of work in that arena as well. And so it's, you know, that I have enough to give away, I have enough to share. And in sharing, it doesn't even mean that I'll have less because there will be a return, it might not be a financial return, but it might be a return of goodwill or of kindness or and I think when people are operating from this place of abundance it's more of a circular economy you know so we put something in we get something out and it keeps flowing whereas when people are in this place of scarcity they tend to the toilet, coming back to the toilet paper example there's a real hoarder mentality you know because there's there's not going to be enough so I need to get everything that I can get my hands on and then dam it up and and keep it all to myself you know and yeah that's where we see the competition the and the general nastiness, unfortunately, that can be ingrained in people. So that's kind of the difference. And then in terms of how we actually shift it, well, the interesting part is that all of this, and I find this completely amazing, but it is how it works, is that our relationship with money and the way that we view abundance, and particularly when we go into financial abundance, it's based on our belief system. And it's very well known that we form our beliefs from the age of zero to seven. So what that means is we usually inherit our belief system from our parents, from our grandparents, from our teachers, from our siblings. So whether it's real or perceived, this system, these beliefs that are handed to us, we make that our truth. So you might be five years old when you are making your belief system around money in this example. And from there, you then see out your entire life with that belief system that was formed when you were five years old. Like it's possibly the most outdated operating system that there could ever be. And there's, there's a bit of a process to moving these, which I'm happy to walk through. But unless we actually get conscious about what are our beliefs and what is underpinning you know, our mindset and our behaviors, if we don't actually get curious and pop the hood and have a bit of a look around, then we are walking around with the operating system of a five-year-old. 
Oh, I love that analogy. That's so cool. It's like it just completely makes sense to my pragmatic brain. You know, it's like when all the uh, people always say about, you know, like airy fairy, like, you know, all this stuff that makes you feel good and having to work on yourself. But I love those analogies. So that's perfect. How do people start that work? And actually, before we get into that, there was a question I was going to ask you, because a lot of the work you do obviously is in the business community and you work a lot with entrepreneurs, with your company Owners Collective. Where do you see that abundance and scarcity mentality in business? Like, is there ways that are good examples? Oh, that's such a great question. I love that question. Where I see it is when people hit a glass ceiling. That's your belief systems. Your beliefs are going to form your actions. And then, so you can see people and they're doing all the work, like they're out there, they're doing all the hustling, but they hit a glass ceiling and they can't get above it. Like whether that's earning a particular amount of money, whether that's securing a big partner, whether that's getting investment, whatever it is, it doesn't actually matter what the thing is. But when they hit a glass ceiling that they can't get past, it's usually not because they're not doing the work right? They're usually like people can do the work. They know what to do. The doing part is pretty easy to be honest, but when they hit a glass ceiling and they're stuck and they don't know why, that's when you've just hit a limiting belief, right? And so whether that's around how much money you can earn, whether that is around whether you're worthy of investment, whether it's like when you hit that glass ceiling, that's, that's where limiting beliefs play out. And that's typically when people come to me is that, you know, that they've got a business that's up and running, but they've, they've hit that glass ceiling. And so with the work that I do, a lot of it is about the internal up level to actually get the external results. So some of it is in execution, but you've got to do the internal work first, because if you actually don't believe that you're worth a million dollars a year, or you're not prepared to charge what you're worth, you don't value yourself because of this belief system, then you're never going to hit the million dollar business. You're never going to get the big investor because you don't believe that you can and your beliefs are what is actually creating your reality. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. Love it. Okay, great. So then go into the bit of how do we do this? The first thing really to know is like we need to be aware of what our belief systems are that are actually driving all of our behavior. Now, beliefs are kind of this really curious thing because beliefs are what we think to be true about the world. So why would we ever question what we think to be true anyway, right? It's the truth. Why would I question it? So it's almost as though you have to pop the hood and start to question, why do I believe that? When did I start believing that? What happened in my life for me to think that and for me to know that that's true? Then you you land on that period of when you're zero to seven. So the first step is the awareness. The second step is to get in there and question whether those beliefs are actually true. Okay, do I know for sure this is true? Is there any evidence out there that this might not be true? If I'm getting this belief from my parents, you know, I got it from my parents, then were they really experiencing the results that I want to experience in life? So that's the second step is really jumping in there and doing the work, you know, starting to really question those beliefs. The third part, which is the fun part really, is actually coming up with a new belief system. So if you've got this kind of like old school five-year-old belief system walking around, this is your opportunity to bring to the floor your 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old self, however old you are, and saying, with my wisdom now of all of these years, what could I 
actually? Like, what is a better belief? And all of the stuff that's happened to you. So that's what should be changing and formulating. And obviously all the things that are going on around the world really challenge your belief system as well, right? If you're allowed to, I think there's plenty of people out there like buying that toilet paper that don't want their belief system shaken. (laughs) Very good point. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's why we're having this conversation. And the beautiful thing about beliefs is that they're all made up. They're completely made up. So if you've got a pretty shitty belief system, the good thing is, is you can make up a new one. I mean, it sounds simple. That's the simple part, right? And then the fourth and final step though is really bringing those beliefs to life. So, you know, if we're thinking about our plastic brains and we're thinking about our, you know, neural pathways, it is, okay, I have this new belief around money that I'm, you know, worthy of X, I can make X, whatever it might be. You then have to consciously choose to act on that new belief. So it's not enough just to kind of think it and think that you might've done it. You actually need to get out there and start actioning that new belief. Because if you think about it, that five-year-old belief you had in the brain, that neural pathway, that is a well-worn pathway, right? Like you know where to go when someone questions your worth or you know how much money you can make. There's a well-worn pathway there. So with this new belief system that you've implemented, you then need to choose that new neural pathway. You consciously really need to choose it and, and to bring it to life. Amazing. So, I mean, it's fascinating, as you say, you're using the example of money because that's obviously one that um, people do have a struggle with. What have you seen in terms of the way people can actually adapt and change their belief system using money as an example? Yeah, 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 totally. And I'm happy to give you a personal example on this one. This is a funny story now, but it wasn't at the time. So I grew up in many places, but one of the places that I grew up when I was quite young was a place called Dalgetty, which is a very small town outside of Jindabyne in the Snowy Mountains. The town had 40 people in it when I lived there and I was the 13th kid at the school, just to kind of paint a little picture. And we lived in the school teacher's house that was attached to the school. It was a fibro house. When it got cold, the pipes would actually freeze and we didn't have any running water in the winter, so much so that my mum had to like boil the kettle and we had to like take baths in front of the fire. You know, this was at the time, like my dad, he was a school teacher and my mum was looking after us kids. So like there wasn't a whole lot of money around. Now that didn't mean anything really about money being good or bad, whether there was a lot or whether there wasn't. However, my mum actually took it upon herself to make us believe that we grew up in the depression right? Now, this seems like an unusual thing for a mom to do. However, her father went through the depression and she was really close with her father. So they're the kind of values that she wanted to instill in us, the belief system around scarcity and in particular around money. Money doesn't grow on trees. There's not enough. We'll never have enough. And so at that age, this was this mindset of scarcity that I had around money. And then I, so I took on this belief system that was my mother's. And then, I mean, I looked around me and like, that was evidenced pretty clearly. Like this was the 1980s, not the 1900s. And we didn't have running water. Like, you know, we didn't have it heating. We didn't like, you know, we were living a pretty simple existence. And ginger binds, bloody cold. Bloody cold. Especially when you got three kids and no heaters, like freezing. Prue, sorry, where are you in the family? So three kids. I'm the oldest. It's a whole other connotations that happened yeah, with that, totally, right? Totally, totally. And my brother was a, like a baby at that time as well. So it was like, here we are with a brand new baby in the snow, bathing him in front of the fire. It was crazy. From that experience of formulating that belief system that I took on from my mom and evidencing it from what was around me, I just grew up with this like there was just never going to be enough money. There was money was an awful thing, and I didn't understand it, and I didn't know how to make it. And 
then I obviously did my psychology degree and started learning about belief systems and how we actually formulate our interaction and our relationship with the world, started questioning a few things. And then I had a really interesting experience where I actually worked in a situation similar to the Wolf of Wall Street in London. I went over there and I was the receptionist, but I was sitting in the middle of this trading floor and there were trade, there were deals going on, $3 million, $6 million. And my mind was blown. Like, how could there be this much money in the world? What do you, like, they're talking about millions of dollars. Who they're standing right money? next to me. I mean, this is mind blowing for me in my 20s. From that period, which was, I was kind of, I think I was in my mid 20s by that stage. Then I really got busy on really like digging into my, into my belief system and what did I believe about money and was that true and was that serving me and was that going to provide the life that I really wanted to consciously create for myself? And so, now with full gratitude, you know, I live in full sufficiency. I live here in Byron Bay. I own my own home, you know, all of these things that, you know, there is a financial abundance defined in how I define abundance. But yeah, I think that's a good example of going from a complete scarcity money mindset through to one of just abundance and surplus and, you know, happiness really. It's beautiful. What a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that. It ends well. (laughs) No, but you highlight that. It's interesting. And listening to your talk, I was thinking back as a kid as well, because I grew up with no money. I was one of four children. Both my parents had to work like, you know, school, we'd look after ourselves, make our lunch because my mum was doing nursing and my dad was, you know, working big hours. And, um, and I didn't know any different. It didn't, you know, didn't occur to me until, you know, I sort of got older. And then my parents were always of the belief, like, you know, same as you, money doesn't grow on trees and we can't buy that. We can't get this. But it was never a, um, a hindrance. It was always like, you know, money doesn't define you and it doesn't make you happier. And I think, you know, my mum actually came from quite a wealthy family and she completely rebelled and ran away from home and was ostracised from her parents. So I think for her it was sort of that she knew what it was like to have money and, and actually knew that it didn't serve you know, didn't have all the answers either, right? It was a lovely kind of environment to grow up in, but they really encouraged us to learn from others and and have that kind of of, of service kind of mentality as well. And um, it's held me in good stead all my life. But it is that interesting kind of relationship that I know heaps of mates have got with money that I just find fascinating. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's great that your parents, you know, laid that down for you as well, even like having kind of probably examined that belief system, whether that was a conscious or unconscious thing, but your mum actually moving away from that to have it as a conversation at your table. I mean, that's where the work kind of starts. So, I mean, I think that's amazing that your parents were able to give that to you. Yeah, I knew as a kid, though, I wanted more money. (laughs) (laughs) They had to do the work. I was like, well, I want to get the jeans. I want to get the Levi 501s. And everyone else has got, you know, whatever. Because all my friends had a lot more money. And I was like, why can't I I have all the stuff they have? But that gave me the drive, though, Prue. And, you know, I think I was 11 or something when I had my first job, you know, as a paper round. And then I was like uh, humbugging the the lady at the big supermarket down. This is in Melbourne. And she kept saying, you're not old enough because I wasn't 14 and three quarters. And I just humbugged her every week to get you know to get a job and the day I turned 14 three quarters she's like oh my god I have to give you a job because you're so annoying (laughs) (laughs) so I ended up working there for five years you know the checkout chick you know I just knew that whilst money was never going to define me it gave me better choices and that's how I feel about it now it's like you know have a little have a lot but it helps me to live a life a lot more fully if it's a bit easier but however 
Um, and especially through COVID and how, you know, m- many of us have actually had our income uh, clipped a bit, if not a lot, it's kind of made me reevaluate it again and look at things that, you know, I was spending a little bit frivolously on or, you know, stuff that we do when we go out and, you know, we would eat out two or three times a week, which costs a lot in Sydney. So all those kind of things we found that, you know, in the last six months, we've hardly spent any money at all. So it's actually the net value, even though our income's been reduced, is is probably higher. We're doing yeah, better. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people, similar kind of story across the board, I feel like people are learning to live with less. But yeah, it's not coming from a place of scarcity. It's coming from a place of choice and decision making, which is really nice. And I think that's a lovely sort of um, drawing to another thing I wanted to talk to you about is that abundance element, because my observation of you is that you live a very, not simplistic life, but you, you know, I don't know if you've ever um, listened to the minimalist guys, like their podcast or that whole kind of theory and stuff, but you kind of remind me of them. You know, I remember uh, a few years ago and you went on your camper van, you just went, you know, which you do often now again, but you, uh, you know, trooping around the countryside and just living out of your van. And I was like, I'm not sure I could do that, but I love that, you know, that it's just that simplicity. How did you embrace that? Have you always been that way? How did you embrace that more in your life? And then, and also then sort of living this beautiful life in Byron Bay, which just always seems so idyllic. (laughs) I'm going to say like in full gratitude again, it is really idyllic. I think for me, I'm just, I'm such a free spirit. Like I have been just my whole entire life. It's really just defined my path to a certain extent, even though that's quite ironic because there is no path. And so I just hold freedom at the top of my value system. I've just really followed what's felt good all of the time. Like I've been prepared to do the inner work all the way along. And, you know, one question that I ask myself really, really regularly is how can this get even better? I think also like having grown up, just coming back to the money conversation is having grown up with nothing and this belief that I had nothing, it's also given me such confidence and such freedom in that as well to know that I can live with nothing, you know, and I'm really like fortunate enough these days and that that's not the case for me. I'm willing to take the risks as well. You know, we lived in Sydney for a while and that's where I built my business in the early years but I wasn't overly happy. And so I had to get really real with myself, like, okay, how can this get even better? And then it was moving to Byron and then, you know, okay, how can this get even better? Great. I want to be like on the road half the year. I want to be, you know, and it is, it's a really alternative life to what a lot of people live. But for me, it just screams abundance. Not only do you dream it and you challenge yourself, but you do it. I do. Right? Because a lot of people think about that stuff and they go, oh, I would love to live in Byron, but they don't do anything about it. You know, what do you say to those people? Because I think you and I, you know, we're brave and we get shit done and we challenge the status quo. We've got that, you know, similarity and the entrepreneurial sort of nature of ours. But I know so many people that are unhappy in the lives that they're living and their circumstances. And I'm like, just change it. It's up to you. So how do you kind of, you know, mentor and guide people in that regard? Because I have not maybe not as much patience as you do. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. I think that impatience is a virtue. I think decisions can be made hard and fast. I'm not one for patience either. I don't know. The way that I look at it for myself, which I'd encourage other people to as well, is that I just think when I am 80, 90, 120 years old and laying on my deathbed, like I am not going to look back for one second and have regrets. Like no way, you know? And if it means that I had to leave that to try this, then great. If I fell on my face, I'll know how to get back up, you know? And I just feel like the worst thing that you could ever 
ever live with is that, is that feeling of regret of that you didn't try it, you didn't give it a go, you didn't because when you have that regret, it's like it festers inside of you. There could be no worse feeling than the feeling of regret. So I don't know if that's hopefully helpful to people, um, but it's definitely the way that I make a lot of my decisions as well is like, would I regret not doing this? And if there is any kind of sniff of, yes, I'd regret not doing this, then, then I'm all in. So, but also there's a, a sense of no fear in you, I think, you know, so where do you think that comes from? Is that again, back to, your, you know, that beautiful story, I think it like sets a bit of a scene on a number of levels for me, but do you, where do you think that comes from? It comes from a lot of internal work, I have to say. It's resourced from abundance because I think maybe no fear, maybe stupidity, but maybe also an extreme confidence in the fact that if I throw it all to the wall and lost everything, like I will be supported. Like I 100% know that I will be supported and whether that's by, you know, the universe, the unicorns, like whatever it might be, it's like, I know that there will be more for me. And the other thing that I really firmly believe as well, this is like a conscious belief of mine that I've changed along the way, is that I totally think that life is rigged in my favor. And so no matter what happens in my life, like whether I get cut off in traffic or whether like a deal I'm doing goes bad or whatever it might be, if something goes wrong, that's rigged in my favor. If something goes right, it's rigged in my favor. Like there's some kind of learning to do or there's like a pivot to take. There's another path. I love that belief. It's like my favorite of the beliefs. What a beautiful belief to have though. Like how do people get that, right? So it's like that whole, I just love it. You know, to say you can create your own belief and you're like, damn, that's what I'm having. It's like, <laughs> that's what I want my belief to be. But this is the beautiful part is that beliefs are what drives our life. Like there is no two ways about it. Like you can go back through all the psychology, all the tests, all the things, beliefs drive our behavior. And so like, if you've got a shitty belief system, like choose, consciously choose to upgrade it to whatever you want it to be. Like that one there that life's completely rigged in my favor. I made that belief up at the start of last year. And that like, that's, it's my favorite belief now. Like I can't believe anything different, you know? And so it's like just getting conscious about what we choose to believe is kind of the beginning and the end of it all, I think. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So with people that you've worked, you know, with this sort of space and stuff as well, what kind of transformations have you seen? Oh my goodness. So wild. So wild. We actually just wrapped up one of our programs today. So we went around and we, we looked at some of the wins. Some of them are internal wins, like just the confidence that transforms in people's own sense of selves. And then, I mean, literally taking a startup to a six, seven figure business. I mean, that's like kind of what we say we do on the box. So that's a transformation. But then like we see people get engaged. We see that people have kids because there's this constant focus of internal and external. It's like, like whatever's happening in the business, it's usually a bit of a clue to what's going on on the inside as well. So if we can do the work around that, we'll not only see the business growth, but we see it kind of explode into life in the best kind of way as well. So yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of business growth. There's been so much collaboration. We're really big on community. And that's probably one of the biggest things, probably one of the things I'm most proud of with our programs is that particularly because they're majority women and the sense of like kind of just that everyone in the room has your back, you know, and when else are you going to be in this room of 30, 50 women who just want you to win? They wholeheartedly just want you to win and are going to support you the whole way to be able to do that. So I think that's a huge transformation that we see. And of course, that just affects everything around the outside as well. 
And I think that's probably a great way to, to wrap it up in the sense of, you know, that transformation and thinking. So what would you like to leave people with, you know, really challenging their notion, I guess, on that abundance mindset? Like, you know, if there's one thing that they could do today to move their mindset and their thinking from, you know, that of scarcity to abundance, what would you say to them? All right. So I'll ease up on the heavy work part here and I'll just give you a quick hack. So the quick hack, Michelle's like, yeah, I like that. I like the quick hack. Um, the quick hack on it. Is- I like it all, babe. I like the heavy work. The things, you know, and I've done a lot of work in this space. That's why I'm like nodding my head off, like relating. It's fabulous. So. I think train your mind to see abundance everywhere. So if we're talking about, you know, reforming those neural pathways, find abundance everywhere in your day. Like, so right now I'm looking at this beautiful plant that's next to me. Like there's so many leaves on it. Like I couldn't even count all the leaves if I sat here for three days. This morning I was walking along the beach. Like how many grains of sand are on that beach? You look at the ocean, how many drops of water are in the ocean? Like when you walk outside, you're walking through a park, like how many birds can you actually hear? And when you start to tune in, I mean, I just, I love being in nature. So when you start to actually tune into how much abundance is around you, then that becomes your reality. Instead of the scarcity, the abundance is what's like thick and strong and calling your name. Yeah, and I think a couple of little things of um, obviously a lot of travel that I've done through, you know, with Buddhism and Hindu beliefs and stuff. And there's, you know, the whole kind of premise of karma, which is like, you know, coming full circle. And to your point before about giving and receiving, which I've always believed in and always lived my life. I just, someone does something bad by me or the wrong thing. I'm like, I know that you'll get your own. I don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. And, uh, you know, like, again, just be philosophical about it. But the other side of, you know, just actually in life, always thinking about there is enough, there's enough to go around. And actually, you know, most of us have too much. So, you know, always to give to others. And I find that always comes back to me, you know, tenfold. And it's such a good philosophy to test and play with. It's held me in good stead. So you are talking my language, woman. It's amazing. I think that's such sage advice. Just like let that when you're experiencing that abundance, which anyone listening to this podcast probably is experiencing abundance right now is like just let that overflow like show your gratitude for it and then just let it overflow and as you say like it will come back to you tenfold yeah such beautiful words thank you so much Prue it's so gorgeous to have you on the show with the you know in between your podcasts that you're constantly doing so can you do a shout out to your podcast that you uh, have got because they're both fabulous and I've been listening to them for quite a while one of them's relatively new but killing it and then also I think you've got a, a high-end hustlers you know if anyone wants to work with you your business mentorship program is actually there's a new intake coming in sort of October or something as well is that right yeah absolutely so we run a five-month uh business education and mentoring program high end hustlers that kicks off in october so we've already got people signing up and i know so many people that have done it with you that just set like it's the bomb so for anyone that's considering it it's truly life like it's business changing but it's truly life changing i i get pretty giddy on it to be honest it's it's just such a great experience so yeah that's coming up in october but yeah i do have two podcasts i'm so greedy like that talk about abundance why have one when you can have two the one that is the oldest the most grown up is called one wild ride 
And that's storytelling behind some really amazing businesses out there doing great work. So it's kind of the combination of good business, positive impact and epic adventures. That's kind of what I jive on. And then the other podcast, which is a relatively new one that I started in COVID, that's the Owners Collective podcast. And that's a real how-to on business. So going across mindset and strategy and kind of, yeah, more short, sharp, snappy how-to kind of um, podcast. So lots of fun. Oh, beautiful. You you make such an impact on so many people's lives and, you know, you have that whole philosophy around helping people to find more kind of purpose, freedom and f- fulfilment in all they do. And so it must be so rewarding for you. So thanks for being part of this today. It's gorgeous to chat for you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of Wabi Sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.